Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Step. And I'm Scott Reevely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back. We're glad to be here. And Scott, this uh, we're going to have a special episode. So Scott has a guest introduced to us. Well, I'm, uh, yes, I, I, he's both of our guests, though, I suppose, really, Eric, but That's I'll true. claim him. I'll claim him. Yes, uh, we're here with uh, Professor David Ennis, and he has written a book that I've thoroughly enjoyed this last uh, year. Christ in the Kingdoms of Men, Foundations of Political Life. And I have to say, um, Professor Ennis, that this was my most highlighted book of 2022. So there you go. I'm honored. Yes. Well, welcome. Yeah, that's high praise for sure. <laughs> yeah. So Professor Ennis is a um, professor of politics at King's College in uh, New York, and um, he has written a number of books the um is your francis bacon book the most recent one or yes it he, is okay yes so he's written about francis bacon the voting christian christ and kingdoms men and others he not only he not only has one amazon author page he has two amazon author pages so that's how you know you're talking to someone who's a prolific author uh, he writes for uh, world magazine and several other places as well and um so, Professor Ennis, we're really glad you're here. Thank you for coming. So glad you could have me. Well, when I um, when I reached out to you um, about your book and about being on the podcast, the very first thing you said was, well, send your kids to King's College and we'll tell them more about the uh, politics. And I'm just curious what King's College is all about. It's a long ways from here. We're in Oregon. And so uh, tell us a little bit about that and what you do at King's College. Well, the King's College is, is, a, is a unique institution. It's a liberal arts college, but it has a robust core of politics, philosophy, and economics. So if you're a business major, you take 20 courses in politics, philosophy, and economics. And, and Bible is in there as well. Um, if you are a media culture and the arts student, you take a core of politics, philosophy, and economics. Uh, journalism, same thing. Why? Because uh, politics, philosophy, and economics address the fundamental human issues involved in leading people, in understanding people and leading them. So uh, whether you're in journalism or business or government or education, uh, this, this fits you to lead major institutions. So did that, uh, you've been there a while. Did you shape this or did this kind of happen around you and you just kind of fit into it? I, oh, I fit into it. Um, as, as somebody who had served time in uh, uh, the pastoral ministry and also had a uh, political philosophy background, mm. um, when they were building this program, they, they saw that I was uh, um, uniquely suited for it. Nice. So yeah, 2005, I arrived. Okay, well, what, what kind of pastoral ministry did you do? I like oh, that you said. I like that you said you serve time. That's kind of how it feels a lot of the time. But <laughs> yeah, go ahead. After I said that, I wanted maybe that wasn't the best. No, way that's totally. We're totally down with that here. Down with so. that. 
Now, I was I was a minister in a little church in eastern Iowa that ran a boarding school. So it was a oh, wow. small rural church with a big international ministry. Hmm. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I had several several years there preaching, pastoring, and then I came back east, uh, went to the King's College. Okay. And is it in downtown New York City or where is the King's College exactly? Oh, yes. Uh, right down in the what we call the FIDI. Uh, right down by Wall Street and uh, and the historic district down there. Uh, the idea is that it's not the New York City location isn't accidental. Uh, being in New York City gives students access to the financial institutions, the major cultural institutions, uh, and and it has a it just being in New York City has a toughening and broadening effect on students. Hmm. So, hmm. and also from, from a politics point of view, living in, in that city, which is like eight to 20 million, depending on how you count people stuck together, not killing each other. That's, that's, that's an extraordinary accomplishment. It so is, isn't it? Being there and observing that is important. Well, uh, you are on the recruiting trail. So that's, I can, uh, I don't know if we'll have any listeners uh, sign up for King's College, but you make it sound appealing. So thank you very much. Good. So you teach uh, politics. Let, let's start just how would you define politics and in particular then how Christians should think about the definition? Well, often when people hear politics, they think of what politicians do. They think of, of uh, Albany, Washington, D.C., um, Portland, I assume, is that the capital of Oregon? Right? It's actually um, Salem, Salem, Oregon. Salem. Well, there you go. Um, my wife would know that. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, we think of what politicians do, but politics, th notice the book title, Christ and the Kingdoms of Men, Foundations of Political Life. Mm -hmm. right? Political life is people, life together, life lived together. So whether you're in, in a friendship, a family, a dorm, a local community, there's politics. There is people living together in, in a shared community for a common good, and that is political life, writ small and writ large. So uh, when we study the foundations of that, we're looking at about human nature, um, why is life together difficult, um, and, and what is its purpose, what should we, should we all be aiming at uh, together? This is political life. Hmm. Well, that's, yeah, that's not, frankly, how I viewed it for a long time. Um, I, I've, I've been the pastor here almost 30 years. And the first part of my ministry, I tried to be um, apolitical, to try and avoid politics in church. And um, anyway, that, that worked out okay until COVID and the summer of 2020. Um, but how would you, I mean, how would you assess that as a, both a professor and a pastor, like good luck being apolitical in church? Well, there's, there's a sense in which, in which you are always instructing, coaching, discipling your people in political life, because as a congregation, they're a community, they're a body. They're not just isolated individuals um, uh, the, the way you are when you go into Costco or into mm -hmm. the bank, 
right? Where, where you have your individual goal and you go in, you come out. Uh, you want them to be have a, a shared life and a shared mission. So their politics in that sense, you are always discipling them in. Mm. But but uh, politics in the in the narrower sense, the newspaper sense, yeah, that's that's um, when I was in the pastoral ministry, when I was in the pulpit, I avoided that uh, mm. because it's it's dangerous, dangerous insofar as if you get into politics in the pulpit, it can become a habit. Um, and and people start thinking, well, he's just giving his polit- his political opinions, which they may be true, but but that's not the place for them. Or or you might come across as giving a political gospel. If we get mm. politics right, we get everything right. But that's not the gospel. It's important. It affects life profoundly, but it's not the gospel. Mm. Um, so uh, I preached. Uh, the creational and redemptive truths of scripture. Disciple, help disciple, the pulpit isn't sufficient for it, you know, Mm. but help disciple people in thinking biblically, thinking God's thoughts after him. Um, uh, His creational truths, his redemptive truths, and then they go out with this renewed mind and encounter the world and see it through a biblical lens and interpret it in a biblical way and act in a biblical way. Um, so, uh, 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 so you, uh, and like, like all sorts of spheres of life, people take their biblical understanding, whether it's in, in parenting or, 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 or politics or, or, or teaching in the classroom, and they apply it. Um, now, there's some, there's some things, let me say, that do require uh, naming and responding to, like n- appalling national sins. In the mm-hmm. 19th century, it was slavery. Mm-hmm. You, you weren't doing politics if you, if you pointed out and said, this is an appalling sin and we all need to repent of this. Mm-hmm. And in the latter 20th century to today, abortion. You're not always getting into politics now. No, it's, it's an appalling sin. Your, your view on abortion if you have the wrong view on abortion, you have the wrong view of what a human being is, um, how mm. to respect yourself, your neighbors, everything. So, um, and there are also rival gospels, which you may want to a- address. Um, uh, you know, Marxism, neo-Marxism, <laughs> and other things that present themselves as, yeah. as or, or consumerism, yeah, um, that present themselves as, as rival gospels. So, so to focus people's attention, Say, now, when I say this is the gospel, it's not that. Beware of that. So part of your discipleship, it sounds like, is you're thinking about making disciples, you're thinking about making people who can identify these false gospels and really lock in on what the true gospel is. Yeah, yeah. It sharpens, it sharpens the understanding yeah. of the true gospel, sometimes to distinguish it from major mm. competitors. Yeah, I have to say that I probably was negligent in that for the first, you know, several years of my ministry for sure, and um, and that that just made our church really struggle. I mean, we struggled in 2020, not only with the submission, which will I want to talk to you about, uh, to the government and all the things they told us to do with COVID, but you know, with the ideas of race and uh, that kind of thing that came out then too. So. Um, that's part of the reason I enjoyed your book so much is it did offer me kind of a way forward on some of that. 
But one of the things that you did do, which I thought was really interesting, is you talked about a framework, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, which I recognize as an outline of the gospel, and we use that routinely to talk about the story of God and the gospel. But uh, you use it as a framework for um, you know, politics and informing the way Christians view politics. Like how, how do you, how does that work? Well, it, creation, fall, and redemption, redemptions is, is, is all about order, properly ordering the world, properly mm. ordering yourself. When God created, he created uh, the world with a certain order, a, a physical order, a moral order, a spiritual order, and a political order, right? God is God, you are not. Um, uh, you don't give yourself purpose. God gave you a purpose. Um, you want to be happy? It's in this way. You can't be happy in that way. Um, fall brought disorder to the world. It disordered our hearts. It disordered our loves. It disordered the, the, how the creation works, which, you know, hurricanes and so forth. Um, and, and redemption restores us to that order. Of course, Christ paid for our sins. He reconciled us with God. He gave us peace with God. But he also brought us to our senses. He also opened our eyes to see uh, the goodness of God's order and uh, how we can reconform our thinking and our hearts and our lives to it. Uh, so, and you think of how much of the evil in the world is on account of disorder. Now, maybe mm. pancreas is disordered. Well, there's that. The doctor addresses that. But but the 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 tyrants, um, the uh, uh, and other people who abuse other people and 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 uh, and cause all kinds of misery because they have disordered hearts because they have a disordered understanding of what's good in the world. Christ Christ remedies that. Creation, fall, redemption. You've already talked about avoiding the individualism side of things in that progression, creation, fall, redemption. Are we redeemed? Would you also say we're redeemed into a community in a polis, um, into a group that is organized in a particular way and thus, um, thus proclaims gospel just by the way we gather, whether it's Sunday or um, the way we interact with each other throughout the week? Is that, would that be an emphasis you would, you would push on? You're singing a good song there, brother. The, uh, yeah, the, the uh, viewing yourself as an individual, as fundamentally an individual, me, my choices, my, me in control of my destiny, that's a disordered view of the world because God's mm. government uh, is, is left out of it, um, God's authority. Uh, so, yeah, we are, we, um, uh, we are, um, we're saved into the church. We're saved into a community, as you said. And, uh, and we find our good there. I mean, and, but people know this intuitively in, in, in a sense. It's sometimes it's a matter of pointing it out to them. Like, um, what is the role of friendship in an ordinary person's life? A person with no friends and incapable of friendship is a miserable person. Why? Because we're made for one another. Um, and, and so the, the richness of our community life, of our friendships, of our family, of our wider community is the richness of our lives. And ultimately that, that fellowship is with God. Uh, so, 
<laughs> and yet it's, it's so obvious. And yet we need to point it out. People resist it, but they resist it out of sin. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you brought up the, the idea of uh, authority. And this is where we begin to run into issues with regard to the government. And particularly, we did here in Oregon, our, our um, pandemic measures were, um, I, were fairly restrictive. I imagine they were in New York City, too. So I'm singing to the choir here, I imagine. But oh, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, it was a real struggle for our church to navigate that. Um, you know, how how would you counsel, you know, Christians or churches when in, in things like that? I mean, do Christians defy tyrants or is there a different way to be Christians in a world that has a pandemic sometimes? Yeah. A principle in the book is always going back to first principles, hence foundations of political life, right? You're not going to understand anything unless you start at the foundations. So I teach a course at the King's College, Foundations of Politics, and somebody else teaches Foundations of Economics, right? You've got to start with the foundations before you understand the more complicated things. So foundations on this question is government is God's minister for your good. God appoints government. He establishes it. Um, it's not perfect because we aren't perfect, but that just means you know they're, they're sinful. But no, he establishes it for our good. And so God says what the good is. But the second point is that uh, the first government is you under God. What does he say in Genesis 1, 26 to 28? Exercise dominion over the earth. You, individual, every, every person. Dominion. Dominion is a kind of rule. So then along comes civil government after that. So what is civil government for? It's to help you accomplish what God wants you to do, to help you, to help each of us in exercising dominion with our gifts for God's glory and the common good in the world. So when, uh, and God, God has specific purposes, uh, for that government. It's to secure in our, so our lives. You're not going to fulfill his task of dominion if you're dead, right? So it, it's to secure us in our lives, particularly against each other after the fall. Uh, and then to secure the conditions for, for prospering. So you have the means to carry out your ministry, to secure the conditions for moral flourishing, so you have a healthy community, you can raise your children in decency and, and godliness and pass on the covenant uh, and to secure the conditions for spiritual flourishing. So the church, the conditions for the church to do its work. So, um, uh, so given this, you can't disobey God's minister for your good just because you don't like something. There's lots of people who don't like what the government is doing. I know each of us thinks we're special, but uh, <laughs> this is why you have government. Um, but, um, but also you can't defy the government just because you believe something is unjust. Everything is, is un unjust in a way. There's, everything is a mixture of justice and injustice. Mm. Um, the government isn't just a suggestion in case you happen to agree with it. Uh, 
Now, most governments are either tyrannical or have been tyrannical. Tyranny is kind of his, world historically the norm. <laughs> um, so, uh, no, God's, God's purpose for us is not to, you know, move against the government whenever it does something unjust. Uh, uh, no, if it's doing something unjust, then you have to, you, particularly in our democracy, you can talk to your, na- talk to your neighbors, uh, uh, throw the bums out at election time, um, appeal to what we call subordinate magistrates. Against the federal government, you appeal to a state government. Against the state government, maybe appeal to, to the local government. Um, remember, remember during COVID when, uh, was it California said, uh, no, in 2020, um, people should not gather um, for Thanksgiving, right? Mm. And uh, local sheriffs said, we're not enforcing that. Happy Thanksgiving. Remember mm. that? Mm. Yeah. That, that was the local magistrate saying, mm. that's tyrannical. We're not doing it. Um, but beyond that, um, if government is behaving tyrannically, uh, what is what is tyranny? Tyranny is the use of public authority for private advantage. So when you have a government that isn't serving the people, but using the people to serve it, that's tyranny. But um, but we're only allowed to disobey the government when they are requiring us to sin. So if the, so, as Paul said, we must obey God rather than men. I'm sorry, I can't go along with this. Uh, and this came up during COVID. Uh, you remember this too. At, at first, the government said, uh, "Horrible disease. We don't know how many millions of people this is going to kill." And you know, there were refrigerator trucks parked uh, outside of hospitals, and we all went, "Oh my word, what's going on here? Uh, this is big." And we hunkered down. We did what they told us. Um, but, you know, like, like, like uh, the air raids in World War II, the government says, you can't have your evening service because the Germans are bombing us. We have to have all the lights out. And we didn't say, nope, God says to worship. No, we went home and we hunkered down mm-hmm. because bombing raid, look, it's there, <laughs> right? Obvious, clear and present danger, as they say. But at some point during the COVID, we said, I don't think it's that dangerous anymore. And I suspect you're keeping this lockdown on because you're covering your tail, as is the CDC. And we, we started suspecting them. At one point, you start saying, okay, now to comply with this, I'm sinning. I'm, I'm denying God his worship. And, and the clear and present danger clearly isn't there. And, and churches wrestled with that. At what point is it obvious that the government is using us for its own its own ends. It's you know, um, it's it, you know, covering its covering its tail. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that but that would be a case of no. Uh, God says to worship Him corporately, and the the bombing raid is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going back to church. That was controversial, but each each mm-hmm. congregation uh, struggled with that itself. Is there in in the book you talk about the problem of government? Is this yeah. is this what you're talking about, or is there? How would you define the problem of government, and what's a Christian? How does a Christian solution to it differ from the modern solution to it? Yeah, yeah. This
why do we have government at all? Because if we didn't, our neighbors, well, at least too many of our neighbors would uh, hit us over the head and take our stuff or just hit us over the head. Uh, there would be, there would be uh, you know, murder and pillage and, and, uh, and so forth and so on. So we have to have government to restrain us. <laughs> and, uh, but the power to protect you is also the power to oppress you. So as uh, our founders put it, how do you enable the government to restrain the governed and at the same time oblige it to restrain itself? Mm -hmm. So how do you make government both effective and safe? You can make it effective just by giving it all power, but it won't be safe. Right. You can make it perfectly safe to the point of uselessness, in which case you have a failed state. So that, that is the problem. <clears throat> the modern solution uh, has been individualistic, and this is its and, and this is its failure. It's hit a cent when I say modern, I mean 17th century onward, um, 1600s onward. Uh, so it centers on me, my self-preservation, my choices. This is what's fundamental. And this eventually, hundreds of years later, led to moral chaos, as we can see around us today. Uh, everything is, well, who's to say? Well, um, who's to say this? Who's to say this is right? Who's to say what is God? Who's to say what is moral? And it's unsustainable. Um, because it all comes down to the individual and in particular individual self-preservation uh, and moral considerations evaporate. The, and as I said, originally uh, we, were, we were a Christian society and we, we, we went down this road, but the Christian part has, what should we say, evaporated. It's fallen away. And all we're left with is the individual and individual choices. The Christian solution begins not with me and my choices, but with God's government and God's purposes. So the same, it involves the same government by consent, the same government under law, the same checks and balances. These are, these are not modern innovations. This is, this is, these are, ancient principles of English liberty, going back to Magna Carta. Uh, but it involves a fuller understanding of what we are, what community is, what government is for. So government is not just for securing us in our lives and property for our self-preservation, each as individuals, but it also comprehends the fullness of what is needed for community, a moral integrity, uh, spiritual flourishing, and so forth. That, uh, that, by the way, we think of ourselves as individuals, don't we? Would you agree with me? We're, we're yeah. all individuals, yeah. right? Yeah, the, the, the funny thing is, you didn't come into this world as an individual, uh, not simply an individual. You hmm. started off inside another person physically attached to and wholly dependent on another person. So you were, you were a separate person, but you were also part of another person. Hmm. And then you came as so that. That's something to digest. 
if you're such an individual, how did you start off that way? And you're still all connected with other people, right? Dependent on, on community, on, on friends and family and community. So. Well, I am curious about, I mean, this particular piece is, I think a lot of what we struggle with because you, you talked about the difference between the modern solution, which is individualistic and the Christian solution. And then, went back to the Magna Carta because Magna Carta kind of gives us all that we've got if we're not Christian. Is that, I mean, is that the way that you would look at what the Magna Carta did for us? I mean, or was it more Christian? I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a historian in that regard, but it's, well, it came, it, it, it came as part of a Christian society that the Christianity uh-huh. was presupposed in everything. Um, okay. Whereas the, the modern political project, which begins with Thomas Hobbes and John Locke in the 17th century. This is an this is an sub-Christian at best. Um, uh, a, 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 a anti-Christian at worst project. Mm. Uh, so it's it, as I said, everything begins with the individual, individual self-preservation. God is not in the picture. Um, the purpose of, go- of, of the purpose of government is not said to be to uh, serve God or to help us in serving God. Um, it's government comes not from God; it comes from me. Authority that, starts in me; it doesn't start in God. That's, that's the fundamental difference, right there, isn't it? That's oh the yeah. You know, bingo. Okay, that that's kind of what I was trying to press into. That's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, huh. Good. Cause, cause is that why, you know, you could say we started as a Christian society or culture and, you know, it sort of uh, evaporated, I think was your word. And all we're left with is individualism and, you know, the individual remain, the priority of the individual remain is that help me understand the relationship yeah. of the, of Christianity to the individual and kind of how it evaporated. Maybe that's too big a question for, you know, right now, but I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah. The, the uh, America was founded uh, based on three streams of thought. One Christian uh, Mark David Hall at George Fox university has written a fine little book. Uh, Did America have a Christian founding? And he makes a solid case for, uh, the, the Christian character of society at the time, the Christian intentions of the founders, um, and I respect him a great deal. Uh, so there's the Christian. There's also the classical, classical notions of honor and, uh, and so forth. Uh, all the founders were read in, in Cicero and Aristotle and so forth. And so when they speak in the Declaration, we pledge our lives and our sacred honor. Well, mm. honor isn't, you don't find that in the Bible, there's a noble spirit. Um, if anything, that's rooted in pride, but for the founders, mm. their, 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 their honor was important. That's a classical influence. And then the enlightenment influence, the uniquely modern enlightenment influence, contract theory, social contract, and so forth. Individualism in that sense. Uh, and since then, the first of all, the classical fell away. Uh, who knows anything about classical anything these days? And, and the Christian in the last century 
gradually fell away uh, to the point that even today it's viewed as something hateful right. and um, and troublesome. Mm. The uh, so that that but when the Christian dies away and the classical, more so the Christian, um, and you're left with individuals with their individual autonomy, free to be whatever they want to be, the the all the supports fall off and, and it becomes wild. As we see now, people identifying, um, I'm identifying, I'm a man, but I'm identifying as a woman. I'm a woman, but I'm identifying as half dog. And I saw that in the news. Um, there was a woman in Germany who identified as a table lamp. But um, why not? Why mm. not? I can be whatever I want to be. And it just becomes mad. Well, it was um, really helpful, actually, to hear, you know, to hear you talk about the founding happening with three streams. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, that's not the way that you know, the people who talk about a Christian founding, in my experience, talk about it. It's like, that's sacred. And if we abandon that, we abandon everything. The three streams has been, that's really helpful. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, As you, you were describing that I was thinking about institutions and what is the purpose of a particular institution. And it seems like government now is being asked to do something it wasn't intended to do. Um, government, our government is set up to mitigate disaster, mitigate flawed individuals. But now because of the emphasis on uh, little, little L liberalism, there is a push to define meaning because it's, it's a, it's a liberal uh, liberalism institution, but that's not what the purpose of government is. You already pointed out that it's protection um, and sustaining of the uh, sustaining of the group so they can do what they're supposed to do. And those other things, we, we need different institutions for those. I need the church to, to, to learn what I, what I ought to do. The government can't really do that. They, they can, but it's just, it's going to use the wrong institution for that end. Is that, is that the way you're thinking about that? That came to mind as you talked. Yeah, the uh, a very a very limited view of government is we're here as an umpire and with enforcement capacity, and we're just going to keep everyone from each other's throats and each other's property, and beyond that, do what you want. That's a very limited view of government. But government has always uh, understood itself to support people in a particular vision of life, a certain understanding of what a good life is. Uh, so. Uh, it was always understood as protecting life and property, but also supporting uh, the church in doing what you just said, uh, discipling people in the truth and understanding the, the moral truth, the eternal truth, and so forth. But government was always understood as sharing in that. And, and what, what has happened today is, and, and that's unavoidable. There will, you, you, you cannot just have a government that sticks to life and property. Because community is more than that, and government gets drawn into that in supporting a particular uh, view of life and, e- and eternal life. Uh, and, but what's happened is that Christian vision has been tossed, and you can't, we've, you can't just toss one and leave it void. Something right. else comes in there. And so what's come in there is the um progressive you i think what you meant by small l liberal 
yeah. a progressive view of what a human being is, what what good human life is, and and that involves um, uh, sexual views, uh, economic views, and so forth. What's in the news these days is queer theory, right? And it's being pushed down on little kids. And if you mispronounce someone, oh my, you're a horrible person and you will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law because you have violated the new vision of human life. You've violated the new orthodoxy, the new religion, the, the new view of, of human well-being. Um, so you're a hater and you're and so forth. Uh, you, you, you can't have just the libertarian utopia. Right? Yeah. Um, there's always a God that government will recognize. And the, the problem is that the true and living God that established this government and created the universe has been denied. And some sort of Baal Moloch amalgamation has been substituted in its place. So we're, we're not left with simply secular government we're lived with pagan government, hmm. pagan government. Well, I don't, uh, this might be a bridge too far, but I mean, what's the way forward? I mean, is the way forward for Christians to like hold on and say, oh no, we need to get back to our Christian roots and, you know, f kind of fight it on those terms or just surrender? I mean, what do you see as the way forward there? Yeah, well, people have been asking this question. So uh, Rod Dreher wrote a book, uh, mm -hmm. the uh, the Benedict Option. Yep. Well, Benedict. we're entering a new dark ages. That's just where we're going. So let's do what Benedict did: um, hunker down into intentional communities and preserve uh, the Christian light uh, through this darkness. And and my problem with that, and, and Patrick Deneen, who wrote uh, Why Liberalism Failed, basically embraces mm. the same conclusion. But the problem is they know where you are. And so long as you're there, you're a threat to them, and they'll come mm. and get you. And, and life isn't as impermeable as it was in uh, the Middle Ages. So we have phones and, and media mm. and, and, and so forth that, that penetrate our homes and reach our children right. so that that doesn't seem uh viable um although there's it's always good to cultivate uh consistency in christian community um and that's where the pastor and uh and the churches come in uh, let's be mm. real churches let's be let's be thick communities mm. insofar as we can some areas of the country lend themselves more to that than others long island it's difficult uh, yeah, but um, uh, and others have talked about Christian nationalism. Uh, let's understand what a people is, what a nation is, and understand that uh, they serve God or false gods, and um, get back to understanding ourselves as a Christian people. But but when fewer and fewer people are Christians, that sounds very theoretical. And again, it comes down to the church doing its business of evangelism hmm. and discipling. Um, a lot of Christians out there are thinking like pagans, mm -hmm. or they, they come to church now and again when there's nothing else on. Well, they're going to think like pagans. Um, so it's the church doing its work. So, so what does it come down to? Uh, in this age, it's the church being the church, 
the the new humanity, the new community, the new society, and and thinking God's thoughts, conforming their thoughts to the scriptures, um, so that when they walk through this world as necessarily we must, we are making Christian judgments and exercising Christian caution and discipling our Christ, our children in Christian ways. Hmm. And as public citizens, as citizens involved in public life, uh, making, making Christian judgments on candidates, on laws, hmm. on school boards, and so forth. And I think you're... So I, I, I love, I love that. I mean, you want the church to be the city on the hill. Yeah. That's really what we're after. But you know, really what you're talking about when you're talking about this disciple making and that is the church supporting the church, supporting people with a biblical vision for life so that it's really clear that we're living, you know, as part of the kingdom of heaven and make that attractive to people as we, as we go through this world. Uh, as well as make Christian judgments and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and ma making it attractive, uh, that's true. And I've written on that. Um, uh, the people at your office, the people at, at, uh, uh, in, uh, in, your, in your school, the people who, who intersect with your life should see a good life. Mm. Right? Um, now, now, it's only the grace of God that will open their mind, oh, my eyes to that. And it's easy to fall into a kind of cam campaigning uh, way of thinking. Well, I don't want to upset anyone because then they won't think that uh, Christ is beautiful. Well, sometimes you have to upset people. Hmm. Sometimes you have to, uh, you know, call evil what it is. And some people are going to be upset and that's in God's hands. Um, the winsomeness debate, this bears on the winsome. Should Christians always be winsome? Is, or is there a place at times for, for a John Knox uh, mm -hmm. to thunder? Mm. And, uh, and you would assume there is. You would say there is then. Yeah, I've got a world column on that. I, I saw that, yeah. So, um, yeah we'll There's a time to, for thunder. We'll link to that for people. That's uh, appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, it is interesting. I think when I was trying to be like apolitical back when I was uh, young and naive, I was hoping that the church would evangelize people and that would change people's hearts and then everyone would vote their conscience, you know. And I think it's it's more complicated and it does come down to a conflict really of this of the vision of life and how we end up navigating you know what it means to to follow jesus in a world that is that is in um political that's the thing i mean it is the world is political so no i that's really this has been really provocative i appreciate it uh a ton um I'm, and, I'm, and and the 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 question of, of how to navigate the um in the pulpit the, the political question mm -hmm. um, is a wisdom issue. It's a prudence issue. Just as when you're dealing with your niece uh, at, at Thanksgiving um, and, okay, should I confront this? How should I confront this? Mm. Uh, should I be direct or indirect? That's a wisdom issue. That's a prudence issue. Um, it's, it's in personal life and in pulpit life. 
and and we pray for wisdom. Yes, may God help us. Um, so is there anything that, uh, you know, if, as you look ahead, I mean, I'm always hoping to see around the corner, but as you study these things more than I do, are there things coming in the next couple of years that you would, um, you know, have pastors or have Christians be alert to and like, this is going to be a big problem or this is going to be a challenge or this can all resolve itself. and It's going to be wonderful. If you got any of that, that'd be great too. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I'm not the best prognosticator, although we all think we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, this, this issue of queer theory in the, in the schools is enormous. Um, and when I say queer theory, that's what they call it. It came out of the, the, dark corners of academia and now it's mainstream the whole democratic party supports every jot and tittle of it and and it's poison uh 2004 uh some states were passing same-sex marriage laws obama said he was in favor of marriage as between a man and a woman by 2015 we had obergefell v hodges which gave us a same-sex marriage as a constitutional right um, every Democrat supports it, and some Republicans. Uh, 2016, at the uh, GOP convention, um, it featured Peter Thiel, who said he was proud to be gay, and everyone cheered. Uh, Donald Trump said uh, he supported LGBTQ, LGBT, and then he emphasized Q rights, meaning, I know what I'm talking about, I'm for you guys, and everyone cheered, right? Um, and then we followed the logic. Well, if, if this stuff is normal, it, then it should be taught as normal uh, in the schools to children. And there might be little children there who are gender fluid or something, suffering. So as a health issue, we have to get in there, explain to them the options, explain to them what they might be and that they have to sort of look in and discover what they are. And the public schools became... Uh, 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 a forum for this. And public schooling has always supported citizens, good citizenship. And today, a believer in freedom and the American way is a believer in queer theory, in LGBTQ you know, expansion. Uh, so don't be surprised that your schools are discipling your children in this way of viewing themselves and the world. So the challenge for Christians is one, to conform their mind to the mind of God and scripture, and two, to seek out educational alternatives for their children, homeschooling, Christian schooling, the challenge for the church, how to make this affordable, or how to help people prosper so that they can afford these things. This is the this is the great challenge for hmm. I think the next next few years for people to wrestle with. Hmm. Well, I appreciate yeah, I appreciate you saying that and um, calling that to our attention. Is there is there anything else that you were you know if, that I should have asked about about the book or about you or King's College that we didn't that you would want to share with our um, listeners? Oh, uh, I I haven't been thinking about about that. But uh, no, I've I've rambled in in everywhere I, I I've 
thought to ramble. Okay, well, you, you hit kind of what I was hoping you did. So uh, if you're satisfied, I'm really satisfied. So thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, super. Yeah, no, I appreciate your, uh, uh, your time and your thought and uh, just the clarity with which you can go back to first principles was really helpful to us. So um, thank you, uh, Professor Ennis, and uh, just really glad that you could be with us today. And I do hope people will pick up uh, your book, uh, Christ and the Kingdoms of Men, Foundations of Political Life, and I hope they highlight it like I did. Great. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Well, that's it, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. If you find what we're doing helpful, a review goes a long way. Share it with a friend. If you do have questions, send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. And we look forward to the next conversation.